it is a land of tremendous beauty. High, soaring mountains and deep, rich valleys. It's the center of the world's three major faiths and home to the world's oldest city. And it was here in this land that the man who changed the course of history lived out his days. In this river, he was baptized. On this hillside, he would teach. On these waters, he walked. And to this city, he would go in the final week of his life. Now, together, we begin our journey to the land where he lived and died and rose again. Welcome to the Holy Land. We are excited to welcome you to the Mansfield ISD Center for the Performing Arts. This is our second year uh, to have worship here on Easter weekend. And again, we're just excited to be in this venue. I want to uh, give you an opportunity to say thank you not only to the band who led us in worship this morning, but all the volunteers who gave a ton of hours, a ton of time to make this place a worship space for us. So will you join me in expressing thanks to all those who have invested in this weekend. My name is David and I serve as one of the pastors at First Methodist Mansfield. And if you've never been to our church campus, we're located at Walnut Creek in Pleasant Ridge, not too far from where we are today. Uh, we talked with our church for weeks in advance of this weekend, talking about not only the importance of Easter, uh, but why we would come here to this venue for this weekend. Uh, you've already heard expressed what we hope our church is, what we believe the church should be a church that exists not only to make disciples, but a church that exists to bless the community in which, in which it is located. And that's our heart's desire. That's why we're here this weekend. We hope and we have uh, uh, entered into this time with, with prayer saying, God, help us to be a blessing to our local community. And so uh, if you're here today because a neighbor invited you or, or a family friend or a co-worker, uh, we want you to know that, that we, we hope that this service and we've prayed that this service would be a blessing to you. Uh, over the last six weeks, we've been taking our church on a journey discovering the Holy Land. In February, we took 63 individuals from our church to the Holy Land, as well as a video team to capture that journey so that when we came back, we could share that entire journey with our church family and share that with you today, this Easter weekend. But let me just tell you, if this is your first time, kind of where we've been as we walked through the last six weeks and looked at six locations that correspond to important moments in the life of Jesus. In the first week, six weeks ago, we started at the Jordan River. The Jordan River is referred to many times in Scripture. It is, it is the river that connects the Sea of Galilee and the northern portion of the Holy Land to the Dead Sea and the southern portion of the Holy Land. The Jordan River was the place where Jesus was baptized in preparation for the start of His ministry. And those who made that trip had the opportunity to remember their own baptism there in the waters of the Jordan River. 
Uh, from that place, we traveled west to the city of Jericho. And just outside the city of Jericho, you find this barren wilderness area. And it was in this place that Jesus spent time fasting and praying in preparation for the start of his ministry. From the barren wilderness that you find down there in the south, we, we traveled north. Jesus would have left the wilderness going back to his hometown of Nazareth where he would have stopped for a while before coming to the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was the place where Jesus lived during the three years of his public ministry, a small fishing village that is located on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. There in Capernaum, Jesus also met Peter and Andrew, the first disciples that he called to follow him, to follow him in this, in this public ministry. In, in that same area, again, very different from the southern portion of the Holy Land, you look at this next picture, the, the rich beauty that we find in the north. It was in this place that Jesus shared the Sermon on the Mount. If you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, you will find that sermon that Jesus shared on that beautiful hillside there on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the next week we went out onto the sea, uh, remembering the, the times that Jesus shared with His disciples crossing back and forth uh, across the Sea of Galilee as He shared three years of ministry around the, the villages that, that were located there. We also remember the night that Jesus calmed the storm that threatened to overturn the boat that carried the disciples and Jesus across. Again, a beautiful, a beautiful place there in the Holy Land. From that, from that place, we traveled south, about a 70-mile journey that Jesus would have taken, coming to the holy center of Jerusalem, the holy city, which is the home of the three world's major faiths today. This vantage point that you see here is the place from which Jesus would have entered the city. This is a shot taken from the Mount of Olives looking out at the Temple Mount structure that you see there, that wall that King Herod would have built, that would have uh, made a massive courtyard that surrounded where the temple would have been at the time of Jesus. You see that golden dome there, which is the Dome of the Rock, a, a Muslim sacred site today. That location represents where the temple was probably located in the time of Jesus. And again, this is the vantage point he would have had as he would have entered the city in the final week of his life, going to Jerusalem, in the words of the Gospel of John, to lay down his life for the world. The site that we came to last week, the last site, is this pit that is located underneath the house of the high priest Caiaphas. After sharing what Christians refer to as the Last Supper, Jesus would have gone back to the Mount of Olives, to the base of that hillside, to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would spend time in, in prayer, preparing for what was going to come next. And it was in that garden that, that he was arrested and brought to the house of Caiaphas. Uh, there, it, very late in the night, he faced his first trial before the Jewish leadership. Jesus would actually face two trials. The next morning he would come before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate who would officially sentence Jesus to his death. But in the night between the first trial before the religious leadership and the next trial that came the next morning, Jesus would spend his last long lonely night here in this pit preparing for his second trial and the crucifixion that would happen 
the next day. Now, according to the historical tradition, Jesus was crucified on a hillside known as Golgotha, or the place of the skull, a hillside that would have been located just outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. About 300 years after his death, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, the Emperor Constantine started an ambitious project to preserve the location of Jesus' crucifixion and the location of Jesus' burial. And the building that he constructed on that site is known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, one of the places where Christians come to visit today. It is a massive building with multiple rooms, one room which houses the tomb, the place where Jesus was believed to be buried. Next to that room, there is another massive room with a giant rotunda that is a fixture in the Jerusalem skyline. As you enter into the, the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you'll find this staircase that takes you to a second story level where you will find a very ornate altar, an altar that represents Golgotha. There beneath the altar, you can lean, uh, you can bend down and place your hand uh, through the floor and touch the stone, which now serves as the foundation of this massive building, but Constantine believed to be the place where Jesus was crucified. It's a moving experience to be there, as, as you might imagine, to be in, in that place, uh, in part because you know that you are coming to a place where Christians have come for thousands of years to remember the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. But it's not exactly what you would expect to find there. Because what you realize when you visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the way in which these 4th century Christians preserved these locations is they took the hillside and wiped it out and built a building on top of those two places. And so it's not quite what you expect when you visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There is another place that you can come in, in Jerusalem known as the Garden Tomb. And just outside the Garden Tomb, you find this hillside. Again, Jesus was crucified at the place of the skull. In the side of that hillside, you see the face of the skull. There is also this tomb that was discovered in 1867, a tomb that at the very least represents the type of tomb that Jesus would have been laid in and could possibly be the tomb in which Jesus was placed following his death. You see there are two beds where bodies can be laid out. This tomb represents the burial practices at the time. The way in which they buried someone was they actually buried them twice. They would lay them out in the tomb and they would come back a year later after their death. They would collect the bones of their loved ones. They would place them in a much smaller box which would stay in that tomb. And in this way, a tomb of this size could house an entire family, generations who could be buried together in a tomb of this nature. Now what that means is, when you go to Jerusalem, you see two potential sites for the crucifixion, and you see two potential sites for the burial of Jesus. And this part may not surprise you, Christians don't agree on where Jesus was crucified or where he was buried. We don't know with certainty where those two events took place. We don't know where the crucifixion happened, and we don't know with certainty where Jesus was buried. But let me jump back in the story for just a moment to, to highlight this one point. What we do know with absolute certainty is that the story didn't end here, in that pit below the house of Caiaphas. Now, I point that out to you because the story 
should have ended here or at the cross. That should have been the end of the story. No one, none of his followers expected Jesus to die. That wasn't what the Messiah was supposed to do to get himself killed. That wasn't how the story was supposed to go. And for the the religious leadership and the political leadership that sentenced Jesus to his death, those were supposed to be the final acts in the story of Jesus. That was supposed to be the end of the story. Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people who at the time were living under Roman authority. And Rome, as you might imagine, in their massive empire, did not look kindly upon any of those who claimed to be a Savior for their people, someone who might lead a revolution, a revolution that could devolve into a violent conflict with Rome. And so Rome did what Rome always did with anyone who threatened their authority and their control. Rome sent Jesus to the cross. And they sent him there for a very specific reason. They sent him to end his campaign to become the Messiah of his people. That's what they did with would-be messiahs. They sent them to a very public, violent, and brutal death that everyone could see so that anyone who thought that they might challenge the authority and power of Rome could see the extent to which that power and authority could be used to end someone's life. The story should have ended there. We shouldn't be here today. But what the Scriptures say is that the story didn't end there. It didn't end in the pit, and it didn't end at the cross. What the Scriptures say is that the story ended a few mornings later when women showed up at the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus to to weep over his death and instead found an empty tomb. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, some of the earliest literature from that day, the earliest writings, he, he writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. But, but here's what's interesting. You don't even have to be a, a, a religious person, a person of faith. You don't even have to trust the Bible on this one, because what history affirms is that the story didn't end at the pit. The story didn't end at the cross. Again, 300 years after the death of Jesus, Christianity became the official religion of the empire that sent Jesus to his death. Now think about that for a moment. Less than 300 years after he was crucified... Christianity, the movement that was born that claimed this audacious thing that the story didn't end at the pit, it didn't end at the cross, that movement became the official religion of the empire that sent Jesus to his death. But not only that, it became the official religion of an empire that had sent thousands of Christians to their death for no other reason than their stubborn conviction that the story didn't end at the pit and the story didn't end at the cross. It ended with an empty tomb, a resurrected Savior, and the hopes that had been almost completely defeated days before coming back to life again. No one expected Jesus to die. 
And no one expected Jesus to come back to life. But once those two things happen, what the scriptures affirm and what history tells us is that no one could stop the movement that was born. I was visiting with a member of our staff uh, a few weeks ago and she was telling me about a friend of hers who she's known a long time who had sent her a message and, and told her that she was going to go to an Easter service this weekend for the first time since she was a, a very young girl. Now, this surprised uh, this person who serves on our staff and, and so she asked her, well, what, what, made that, what, what led you to that decision? Why, why are you going to be taking yourself and your family to an Easter service this weekend? And she told her this story which she gave me permission to share with you. She said a neighbor came by and invited her to their Easter services. And at first she kind of wrote it off and thought, well, I don't really want to go to church on Easter. But, but then she went back inside and she asked her two young kids what they knew about Easter, what, what they thought Easter meant. And her youngest, her daughter said, Easter is about chocolate and eggs. And then her older one, her son said, uh, Easter is about saying thank you to God for Jesus. Now that took her back a little bit. She didn't expect that answer from her son. He hadn't heard that from her. And so she asked him the question, well, why, why do we thank God for Jesus? And that stumped him. He said, well, I don't really know. And she said, at that time, I, I found myself of all people, that's how she said it, I found myself as, of all people telling my children the Easter story. She said when she was, when she was done... Her, her son asked her this one question. He said, he said, Mom, did that really happen? And she said, well, I don't know, but a lot of people think that it did. She said, but what do you think? He said, I don't know, but I really hope that it did. I really hope that it did. You know, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of faith, whether church is a regular part of your routine or, or maybe, maybe you're here thinking, well, why am I here at Easter service today? Regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of faith, my, my sense is that we all understand the sentiment of that, that young boy. We all have the sense that we, that we want this story to be true. It's a story of good overcoming evil and there is something within us that says... We really want that story to be true. There, there's something within us that says we really, we really need that story to be true. M maybe you're here today simply because that's what you bring to this place. But I hope this story is true. I don't know. But I hope. I hope there is some truth here that, that, that good can conquer evil, that death doesn't have the final word, that there is more to the story than, than the pit and the cross. An empire sending a, a good man to his death. I, I want to believe that there's something more to the story. But, but even if you're here uh, as a person of deep faith conviction, you're here celebrating the central truth of your faith. You made a decision long ago to be a follower of Jesus. Even if you're here in that place, I think that there's got to be something within you that says, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to feel that. And, and maybe there are even those 
who are totally sold out to this, who, who, who live their lives on this stubborn conviction, this st- same stubborn conviction that sent thousands of Christians to their death, the, the stubborn conviction that the story went on, that the cross wasn't the final act. Maybe you're here in that category, but you have walked through a season of your life where all you could muster was, God, I need this to be true. I really hope this is true. I need to know that what I'm going through right now isn't the final chapter in my story. I need this to be true. I've been a Christian for 21 years. I've been a pastor for for 13 of those years. I've walked with people through lots of different difficult seasons of a life of suffering and sorrow and setback. And what I will tell you is that even after decades after making that decision in my own life to become a follower of Jesus, there are days when I say, God, I need this to be true. I don't know, I'm, I'm hurting, these people are hurting. I need this story to be true. I, I hope this story is true. I'm depending on the fact that this story is true. And I lift that up for you today to simply say this. That sentiment does not indicate a lack of faith. Rather, it simply indicates how difficult our lives can sometimes be. That life has has a way of leaving us bloodied and battered and bruised and wondering if there is, in fact, another chapter to our own story. The message of Easter says that there is. The message of Easter says that the story didn't end in the pit and it didn't end at the cross. It ended on a new morning when women came to the tomb finding it empty, uh, celebrating a resurrected Savior and hope that had been completely destroyed a few days before coming back to life again. That's the story of Easter. That there is another chapter to the story that you can't stop at the cross. There is more to the story of Jesus. That's what the Easter story says to us. That's what the Scriptures affirm and that's what history affirms. But the point of the Easter story for each of us is that it is the same is true for us as well. That there is another chapter to our story. This is what Frederick Buechner says. He says, resurrection means that the worst thing in life is never the last thing in life. The worst thing in life is never the last thing uh, in life. This is the hope of faith. The hope that on Friday was battered and beaten and bruised and bloodied. But the hope that was rescued, the hope that was saved, the hope that came back on that new morning. And so today, wherever you may find yourself, whether you are here as someone, as a person of deep faith conviction, here celebrating the central truth of your faith, or you're here thinking, I'm not really sure why I'm here, but there's something within me that needs this story to be true. There's something within me that hopes this story is true. Whether you are here celebrating in a season of great possibility and excitement, or you are simply enduring a season of loss and suffering, you're celebrating family gathered, or you are feeling that sense of emptiness because there's someone or something missing in your life today. If you're here today and all you've got is I hope this story is true, then I want to invite you today 
to hear the message of Easter. The message that I believe God is shouting to each and every one of us. The message which simply says, don't give up. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up on tomorrow. Don't give up on the possibility that what you may be going through right now is not the final chapter of your story. Don't give up on Friday because Sunday will come. Hope doesn't die. Hope doesn't die. Because the story didn't end at the pit. It didn't end at the cross. It ended with an empty tomb, a resurrected Savior, and hope coming back to life again. So brothers and sisters, don't give up. Because there is another chapter to your story. Grace and peace, brothers and sisters. Amen.